Hey everyone and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. I'm your host Lena Abujamra and once again I'm so glad you're here. As you know by now if you've been listening every couple of weeks on the show I invite a friend to join me and we simply talk about hope. We talk about how we tend to lose our hope, we talk about how we get it back, but more importantly we talk about how we keep it for good. And so this week we're going to talk about hope when you're blinded by a child with disabilities. I am really looking forward to the conversation we're going to have with Corey Shoemate. You may or may not have heard of Corey, but he is someone who's going to touch your heart with his story. I met Corey, believe it or not, at a singles event even though he was married and I believe had a son at the time. He was leading the singles ministry at Christ Community Church in St. Charles right by where I live and he had invited me to speak at their singles event and I remember sort of thinking like what does this married guy know about singles? And I showed up to the event and I can tell you just from the spirit of the group that he uh, had, was doing something right. And uh, I left there sort of thinking about what a you know great job he was doing. But it was only after that, I believe, Corey, and we'll get to that in a second. But it was after that that I started following his story on Facebook and saw him have a second child and sort of what happened with that. And I've seen him grow in hope and in faith as he's dealt with what I perceive to be one of the most difficult things a person can face. So today, Corey's going to tell us a little bit about it. He is now a campus pastor at Christ Community Church in Streamwood, Bartlett Campus. So if you live in that area, you might have had a chance to meet him, or hopefully you will. And I think at this point, it'd be great to talk to you, Corey. How are you doing? Yes, doing just fine, Lena. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Well, it's um, I, I'm looking forward to what we're going to talk about. Really, I am as a you know I practice pediatric emergency medicine, and so you know I sort of see the other side of it. And today we're going to get a chance a bit to to hear you know, a person walk through uh, a difficult uh, medical thing and uh, sort of all of the tensions that happen in the faith. But maybe, Corey, start by telling us just a little bit about yourself and your background. Uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, wonderful parents uh, who were wonderfully supportive and lovely, uh, and a younger sister, uh, Stephanie, who's a few years younger than I am. But uh, yeah, did not faith was not a part of our household at all, and God uh, did kind of this radical transformation in my life in um, 2007 uh, at a Christian music festival and had a pretty quick calling after that into pastoral ministry. And so I... So wait, wait, let me slow you down for a minute. First of all, you like, so you were in Oregon. So like, I have this impression, like there's no Christians in Oregon. (laughs) There's like three probably. And so you go to a music festival with like two other people there or where was that festival? Yeah. (laughs) I'll never forget one of the first conversations I had um, out here in the suburbs of Chicago with somebody who was a very well-meaning woman, um, elderly woman, who uh, asked me where I was from. I said I was from Oregon. And she got this uh, deep look of sympathy on her face. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I'm so sorry. They're just so liberal out there. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) And you're in Chicago. (laughs) Oh my, what a different world the suburbs are. (laughs) So So how did you even hear about North Park? Was that after you came to Christ? or was it sort of a, yes you know. yes um, I, I was fully invested in a uh, taking my baseball career to the next level when I was in high school and uh, through a series of events uh, which could be another podcast uh, God really he took that away from me and uh, really brought me to the end of myself which is a big part of my conversion story uh, and so when I um, uh, began uh, this kind of spiritual transformation uh, I, I really had, uh, a fresh start and North Park. Once I realized that I wanted to study Bible in college, North Park was the very first and I think only school that I applied to. Uh, and I got in and I, I really knew that that's where I wanted to go. So I made the, t- the trek across the country. 
That's crazy. And I've been to, uh, driven around North Park and, and have met so many students from there. It sounds like you had a great time there. Yes, I did. I heard about it through a, a friend. You know, it's an evangelical covenant school. And so it's the only uh, university tied with that denomination. And so there was an evangelical covenant church just a few blocks away from my house that uh, the guy who led me to Christ was attending. And uh, they were in town doing like a, a presentation telling people about the school. And so I heard about it and went and visited. And you met your wife there or not? I sure did. Yeah. We got married at the ripe old age of 20. Um, and, uh, <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. We uh, got married between our uh, sophomore and junior year. Uh, and so I was uh, two weeks into being 20 years old when we got married. That was uh, eight years ago. Wow. I mean, that's, that is another story in of itself. Like, was there, was it sort of like you just knew she was the one or, you know, when you're Christian, like you're just trying to be pure, like tell us a bit more, maybe for a second or two about like the yeah. thought process there, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. especially coming yeah. from the West Coast. Like, I don't feel like people necessarily rush into marriage from liberal backgrounds. And so yet here you were like, boom. Yeah, sure, sure. It was uh, nothing short of a uh, of God speaking. And uh, I'm certainly one of those people who would say that I don't hear very clearly um, uh, and unequivocally, unequivocally from God uh, as far as which direction to pursue very often. But this was one of those uh, big times in my life. I had arrived back to school early. I was an RA at the time and we showed up like two weeks early for uh, training and training was only like two hours a day. <laughs> and so the I had like a lot of time on my hands. And so I, I sat and listened to a lot of podcasts like this one and uh, did a lot of uh, reading. And uh, through that time, uh, God really powerfully um, spoke to me and uh, and really, I can say, told me to, to get married uh, much wow. earlier than I had been planning to get married. And uh, I'll spare the whole story, but the cool, a cool detail was um, I really felt at the end of this long, uh, quiet time in which I was journaling that God was telling me to uh, confirm this with wise counsel, not to just do it on my own and be a crazy person, but to actually go to wise mentors I respected. And so uh, three names popped into my mind, and they were kind of scattered uh, individuals. And I'll never forget telling uh, Kasha, who's now my wife. She was my girlfriend at the time. Um, mm-hmm. I was very nervous about this this uh, conversation because I was going to have to tell her that God had told me that I needed to marry her. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and so I, I presented this to her, and literally before I could get to the point where I said, uh, "I feel like God is calling me to confirm this feeling, this uh, direction, calling," with uh, speaking to these three individuals and getting their confirmation. Before I could even say that, she said, uh, "That's fine, but uh, I I would love to talk to these three individuals before before we do it." And she named the exact same three people. Uh, so it was no, that's awesome. Yeah, it was kind of a crazy crazy time in our lives. So we literally got engaged. Um, a month later and got married less than six months after that. Wow. And then you started your career as a pastor fairly quickly after college. Yeah. In fact, I wasn't even done with college yet when I started at uh, at Christ Community here. I was uh, commuting out from the city to the suburbs for a few months. And it was specifically for as a singles pastor because it's a bit unusual for a 20-year-old you know, 20 something to be leading the older single population at the time, yeah. at least a group that hired I hired me for my vast experience and wisdom. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I was actually hired as the 20 somethings pastor um, at the time, which uh, is not quite as weird as a singles pastor, but equally as risky when you talk about hiring somebody who's 21 years old to pastor a group of people who are uh, entirely older than him. Uh, so it was, it was definitely a risk that my boss at the time took and, um, and one I'm very thankful for because Christ Community uh, quickly became our home and uh, our, our really primary community and a place where mm. we've grown tremendously over the last six years. 
and you started your family pretty quickly or how long was it before you had the first child? Yeah. So, um, we, um, we actually ch- tried to have kids, um, when, let's see, in 2014, 13 or 14. Um, and we actually had two miscarriages prior to our first son, Keller, who's now three years old. And so that's kind of a, a part of our story as well, as far as having uh, children uh, that uh, have journeys that we, we didn't expect, you know, and have had health complications. And so, uh, and so in that season was you're feeling like, like you really, how did you wrestle with that? Like, did you feel like God wanted you to have kids and you were just going to keep, you know, praying through that? Or were you like, walk us through a little bit, like what goes on in your mind when you go through the miscarriages and you, you sort of are, are trying to figure out what to do about them. Did you give up? Did you give up on having a family or were you just praying through it in faith, believing and then boom, you know, God gave you a child and you were so happy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we had, we'd certainly felt called to uh, start a family, um, from very early on, both Kasha and I have been, um, very open handed with, um, how, how that family happens. Uh, we are pretty, uh, sold out on the fact that God creates a, a new humanity and a new family, uh, including brothers and sisters who, um, are, are not blood related and uh, this new family in Christ. And one of the, I think the best images and metaphors in scripture for how God does his redemptive, redemptive project in the world is adoption, that he adopts us as sons and daughters in his family. And so we've always seen, um, uh, having a biological family is something that we we wanted to pursue, but but always been open to how God might lead us to create a family uh, through other means. But we we certainly wanted to try having biological kids, and so so we did that. Uh, you know, a few years after we got married, and um, you know, two miscarriages later, it was a really it was a very very hard thing, and it was particularly hard on my wife Kasha. Uh, if you talk to any woman who's had. Uh, multiple miscarriages. Uh, there's this inevitable journey through um, self self doubt and even self blame uh, and and shame attached to that. Uh, it's uh, unfortunately one of the hardest um, things that a, a mother can go through. And at the same time, uh, the private nature of it, it kind of exacerbates the pain um, because there's not an open avenue to talk about. It's not something that people ask you about. You know, if you lose a mother or a father or yeah. uh, you know a child, then and then it's pretty public, and and the grieving is you have permission to grieve publicly because it's public knowledge. But with something like a miscarriage, we quickly discovered that it's a so there's a whole underground, <laughs> you know, grieving process that happens. And uh, as soon as we started telling people our story, we realized that there was so many other mothers out there who had gone through the same thing and who hadn't told. Some, some people we talked to who never told a soul until um, Kasha confided in them. And uh, that became kind of a project that we had started on our, uh, ourselves to really be transparent about our own journey um, and uh, in, in the confidence that God is, is one who uh, has compassion on and, and, and stands with us in the midst of our pain uh, and is, uh, is healing our world to, to not hide our pain because uh, it doesn't do us any good and it certainly doesn't do others who are going through the same thing. Uh, any good, but that you know, that's not to say that it wasn't a really, really uh, difficult uh, time. I, I remember, um, you know, if I could kind of summarize the the pain that I was experiencing in one in one kind of moment, it was walking out of the hospital after um, our second miscarriage, and uh, it was kind of an up and down thing because we thought Kasha had miscarried, and we went into the hospital expecting that she had, and the doctor uh, said. 
uh, no, despite all the kind of physical signs, th- this baby's still in there. And uh, it was five or six weeks at that point, and we could even uh, hear the heart, we could see the heartbeat at that point. Um, and it was just this revival of hope. Um, and I remember leaving the hospital crying, and we came back a week later uh, to do a check-in, and, uh, and the baby was gone. I remember it was a beautiful spring day, and uh, I, I remember seeing vivid spring colors, the vibrancy of the grass, and uh, watching this little uh, family of butterflies uh, fly by. And I remember thinking, what on earth is the point uh, of a world in which the butterflies <laughs> have lives and well-being uh, that is upheld, but... Uh, but my, my, my child in my wife's womb uh, doesn't get a fair shot at life. And I remember feeling, I wasn't even angry at God. Um, I really wasn't, but I, I remember feeling very distinctly, um, I have poured my soul out in prayer uh, over uh, not only this child, but the one before. And so have our community who's walked with us through this. And um, what, what's even the point if we go through all of that? And uh, then this happens. And so I remember feeling totally numbed to the idea of intercessory prayer, particularly in the area of physical healing uh, for um, a short season of, of that journey, simply because I, I felt like we'd poured ourselves out and only to watch nothing happen. How did you come back around from that? <sighs> How did I come back around from that? Um, I, I began, uh, you know, it's amazing when you're, uh, a preacher, how the sometimes the thing that gets you going is is ministering to other people. Uh, some mm. of the some of the hardest times in my life are when I've been so self absorbed. But when you kind of turn your eyes from yourself towards others and you begin trying to assist others on their journey, um, God actually uses that process to minister to you. Um, I, and I remember really distinctly, uh, I was preparing a message for. Um, my 20s ministry, and uh, it was on John chapter 11, and, and it was on the passing of, of Lazarus and uh, and that journey. And, and I remember so poignantly reading that passage and feeling uh, so in solidarity with Mary and Martha who, who um, plead for Jesus. They send for Jesus to come to them. Um, and Jesus, uh, very interesting in, this, in the story, uh, delays, delays his, his travels to them. Um, and when he arrives, they say, it's some of the most honest, <laughs> kind of excruciatingly honest words in scripture that I really latched onto, which is they, they tell Jesus, they look at him in the face through tears. They say, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. And, and I remember feeling like that, that really put words <laughs> to what I was, what I was experiencing through those miscarriages. Like, God, if you had been here, then this would not have happened. I feel really abandoned by you. Um, and, and I remember finishing uh, preaching that message and, and that message preparation process, which Jesus you know, really takes Mary Martha by the hand and marches over to the, the tomb where Lazarus is. And, and he does this amazing thing where he, he calls Lazarus out and, and Lazarus gets up after four days, which is, you know, in Jewish culture, three days is kind of it. You know, they, they assume the soul has gone and there's a uh, kind of a permanence to that. And Jesus, um, you know, tied to the delay of his arrival wants to show that even after four days, that he is the one who can do the impossible and, and he is the one who brings the good news of resurrection and, and that story ends with a resurrection. And I remember distinctly feeling like 
man, uh, our our family's story and and the story of our two children who who passed away in the womb, like the, the end of their story is resurrection too. But that doesn't mean that there's not permission to grieve and be angry even when you feel like you're stuck in the middle of John chapter 11 because you haven't gotten to the end of the chapter yet. That's so good. And of course, then you got pregnant again. Yes. Yeah. Then we got pregnant. Uh, that had been in uh, 2014. And, uh, you know, I remember having conversations with, with nurses and the hospital was really a dark place for us at that point, particularly the, you know, kind of pregnancy uh, wing um, because uh, we'd gotten nothing but bad news there, you know? And so we had our guard pretty high up um, through the whole process, but um, we were told if we had another miscarriage, then, then we might be advised uh, to, to uh, stop trying to have biological children altogether. So there was really a lot riding on this pregnancy. In fact, when I was preaching that John, 11 message uh, that I just mentioned. My wife, Kasia, was in the room and she was about six months pregnant. Um, and mm. I remember feeling <laughs> so raw in that moment. I was just weeping on stage as I was teaching this because it was really, we we're in the, smack in the middle of this journey. And, um, and so we really kind of uh, were, were nervous throughout the whole thing. But um, it was a healthy pregnancy. And our son, Keller, was born on May 23rd of 2015, a very healthy boy. Um, and uh, he, to this day, is, is very healthy, a vibrant, uh, wonderful, cheerful, energetic, smart three-year-old uh, who's really a joy, a joy for us. And you, of course, wanted to grow your family even more. So you, you figured at that point, we'll just keep trying to have kids. Was there a miscarriage between between Keller and your second pregnancy, was there more miscarriages or was there that no, like yeah, just a no more miscarriages? Uh, so okay. uh, Elin, um, our, our newest and youngest family member is, uh, was born in October of 2017. Okay. And tell us about that. Bring us into this new phase of, of life. And so you got pregnant. Everything was smooth. Yeah, everything was smooth, um, through the whole pregnancy. Um, and even through the delivery, uh, through, um, the days of the hospital, of course, they do a slew of, of tests um, on uh, every new child that passes <laughs> through the hospital. And every he passed every test with, uh, with flying colors, with the exception of one, which was a hearing test. And, um, and I remember being so frustrated because the hearing test was interrupted like four times by different people walking through our door. Uh, and so uh, the, the nurse said, uh, don't worry, you know, kids fail the hearing test all the time. Uh, it might just be an, an error with the test or he might have fluid in his ears, uh, wouldn't worry about it too much. And so we really didn't um, until we came back for a second hearing test a few weeks later and uh, failed that. Um, and then we're passed on to yet another uh, hearing specialist uh, and kind of got definitive results that there was something going on with his hearing. And that was probably the first sign, um, maybe six weeks after he was born, that, that something was wrong. And how did you process that at the time? Were you thinking like, were, were you devastated? Were you hopeful? What was your, were you just numb? At that point, uh, it, nothing had really sunk in yet. Um, he was only six weeks down the line. He was behaving pretty normally uh, other than that. And, and we'd been told, you know, they have um, 
A lot of babies have fluid that's in their ears and it kind of blocks their, their hearing for a while. And that can sometimes take months to um, go away. And sometimes it requires tubes to be put in his ears. And so we said, okay, let's get a closer look at that. And we had tubes put in his ears. But um, over the next six weeks, uh, you know, until he was about three, uh, three or so months old, uh, right around that January mark, um, is when he really started missing some kind of definitive milestones with not just hearing uh, but also vision. He wasn't really responding to sounds or voices, and he uh, wasn't looking at objects. He was not tracking objects across the room. He didn't respond to faces when we were right in front of him, and uh, and that's when we uh, took him into a, a hearing specialist and a, an eye specialist. And then uh, at that time, we also took him to our um, pediatrician who noticed that the soft spot, kind of the primary soft spot on his uh, skull, had closed uh, prematurely. And so uh, so that all three doctors, eye doctor, ear doctor, and our pediatrician um, asked for a um, uh, an MRI to be done for him. And uh, so we went ahead and pursued that. We did the MRI. And funny enough, uh, when you when you had come to visit our church and uh, speak at our singles event, the MRI was like 48 hours before that, I think. Um, and mm. uh, I remember, I, re- I remember hoping that I didn't get any results before that event because I couldn't imagine, <laughs> I couldn't, unless it was the best possible results, which, uh, you know, we knew wasn't likely. Um, if I got any kind of bad news going into the vet, that event, I couldn't imagine, you know, running an event with a few hundred people there. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, um, I, I was holding my breath at that point in time. Um, I, I really didn't. I really didn't know what was coming. Um, I, I knew the the MRI was going to reveal something. Um, I probably out of self preservation <laughs> uh, try to imagine very bad scenarios um, and imagine myself living in them and try to be surprised, pleasantly surprised if something comes. But. Um, yeah, I, I remember feeling uh, very like I was really trying hard to push it out of my mind in those in those few days, and it was the fall, I think it was the week after the, the week after um, you came that we were called into our neurologist office uh, in in Chicago, and uh, so we traveled down down there and we sat in front of a computer screen where our neurologist walked us through these. A series of images, and and you know, even as somebody who was not a neurologist looking at this computer screen, I could tell um, that something uh, was was really wrong with what I was seeing. And so, did they give you a diagnosis, or were you just like, were they like, he's going to have some developmental delays? Like, what was the frame of when you walked out? What was your sense of what was happening? Um, well, I, I remember sitting in the room um, as as she said. Uh, do you see this, you know, do you see this part of the image that I'm showing you? And and I said, yeah. And, and it looked like a whole lot of empty space. And she, she goes, that's where, you know, this, it's where your son's brain should be. And I, and I said, what are, you, what, are you, what are you telling me? And she said, well, it looks like it's for some reason or another, um, Elon's brain didn't develop uh, how it should have. And, um, and the hearing loss, the vision impairment, that you're seeing uh, can be tied to that. And I remember just kind of sitting there with Kasha and, um, and trying to process this. I remember asking the words, um, will my son ever be able to uh, see me or will my son be able to ever hear my voice? 
thinking those were pretty low. Bar was pretty low yeah. on those questions. And I remember she she paused and she looked back and forth from Kasha to me, and um, and she said, "I I can't tell you the answer to that. I don't know." Oh, um, wow. And and then like moments later, before we even had a chance to even process those w- words, really, um, Elon had some kind of spasm um, in front of us, and the doctor got very concerned. Uh, and said, I, I think what I just saw might be um, a very dangerous form of seizure, and I need to get you guys in right away uh, to, to mm. go downtown and uh, get an EEG to look at his brain patterns to see uh, what's going on. Well, and how long has that been, Corey? Like that was a, in yeah, the last that was February. few months? Or? It was February, is, is February 2nd, I believe, is the date that we got that news and um, rushed downtown to get a, get a look at Elon's brain. This is crazy. And so you're so young too, like, I'm, you know, all that you've been through and you're, you and your wife are like, and you're not quite 30, you know, and so it's just so much to take in. And so I, I want to try to tease out just a couple of things. I mean, you've been through a lot in the last eight months, it's not even eight months. Maybe let's talk a little bit about where you are now compared to at that point, like what's been happening before we get to the hopeful part, like sort of, I want to tease out a bit of where's yeah. God in all this at that moment in time? And did you even think about God in that moment? In yeah. Time? I mean, absolutely. We were, we're sitting there, um, through tears on the way from one hospital to another, uh, you know, that, that very day, just, just crying out to God and crying <laughs> with each other, uh, having a hard time even, uh, functioning and driving, uh, probably not the best time to be driving, but, um, uh, just, just asking the question, like what, what happened? Um, as you mentioned in the beginning, we really felt blindsided by this because uh, it seems like something as drastic as this, we really should have known sooner. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, God orchestrates uh, specific moments in time uh, where we really uh, are faced with the reality of, of uh, what we're facing and, and, and have to kind of sit in it. And uh, the EEG is, uh, if you've uh, listeners have ever participated in one of these or know what it is, you have to basically sit in a room quietly while, um, you know, 30 some electrodes are attached to, uh, you know, the patient's head and it's hooked up to a very expensive machine that monitors brain activity and and uh, we'd be very quiet. I remember the I, I wanted to pull up my computer and just distract myself with something. And um, and the the nurse of the the tech was like, "You can't even plug your computer into the wall because it will affect the reading of the EEG." And so I literally just had to sit there. And it was one of those moments where I really felt God was like, "You you just need to sit in this right now and, and sit with me." And 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 if a phrase was really impressed upon me over the next 60 minutes uh, as I sat in that dark, quiet room um, uh, looking at my son uh, in, in the bed. And, and that was the phrase uh, as I looked at him and, and thought, this is, this is so not normal. He's not going to be a normal kid. He's not going to have normal experiences. He's not going to have a normal life. And I remember the phrase really impressing upon my brain was, uh, normal is not the goal. Normal has never mm-hmm. been the goal. Um, and and I, as I as I sat in that, like I am leaving that that room and talking to to families and even driving through Chicago with all of its opulent wealth and fantastically you know rich people and tall buildings and and, and fun uh, activities and entertainment. I remember looking around, going, if this is normal, uh, distractions from uh, distractions from being attuned to 
how the Spirit of God is at work transforming us into the image of Christ and bringing about his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven and bringing all of creation into unity under the headship of Jesus and restoring all things and working towards that day when every tear will be wiped away and there'll be no more crying or mourning or pain. And if, if God is on that restoration project and, and yet the normal around us is to be completely oblivious and even in rebellion to that, then uh, the normal indeed was never the goal. And as I looked at Elon in that moment, I, I really you know talked with Cash on the way home from the hospital that day. And, and I said, uh, babe, this is not going to be a normal journey. But, but we have to believe uh, that it was, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good journey. And we don't know what it's going to bring. Um, but normal, a normal life uh, usually does not yield the kind of fruit that is evident uh, for those who are uh, attuned to and participating uh, meaningfully in the kingdom of God. Wow. How do you see the image of God in Elon? Yeah, I see... Um, I see a boy who um, <laughs> is so cared for by so many people. Like there's been so many resources directed to Elon um, for his well-being. Um, and uh, he, in his 10-month-old hearing impaired, vision impaired, uh, cognitively impaired self, is not aware of any of that. Um, and he lives this life of uh, trust. I know when I pick him up... Uh, He, he knows who I am and, and he, he, he can hear, uh, at least to, to some extent, my wife's voice and my voice, which has been a cool kind of development that we've seen the last few months and see him respond to that in this trusting way. And, and, I, and I think of how uh, we, like he is precious uh, and he has these desires, even if it's his desire to like crane his head in our direction using whatever strength he has to uh, hear our voice better and to draw near us. We see these little movements uh, that he makes uh, that show this desire to draw near. And, um, and I look at him and I think of like, man, how much are we in the same position where God has, has done so much for us through creating us and uh, enduring our <laughs> kind of obliviousness to his love and care for us and he, how he chases us down and has given his infinite resources in order to demonstrate his love and ensure that we're cared for. And, um, and I look at Elon and I think, man, what, a, what an image of, of how I must I must look in God's eyes as one who is uh, so oblivious and yet so loved at the very same time and is, is uh, you know, in such great care. I take that for granted uh, so much, but um, I, I've really, really seen how uh, the fatherly love of God has come out, uh, certainly in my first son, Keller, but really in some new and definitive ways with, with Elon. How do you encourage your wife in this? Yeah, my wife is a big uh, mantra person. <laughs> um, and so the more that we talk through, she's a very much a verbal processor. And, um, and the more that we can talk through even our banner kind of motto for Elon, which is normal is not the goal. Um, it, it, it really brings us together. And um, I think for, For Kasia, a big thing is giving her space and permission to be angry uh, and to be uh, sad uh, and to grieve. She, uh, as, especially as a pastor's wife, is put in a lot of situations where people um, who she doesn't know very well are asking questions that are you know, invasive for our family, and she has to kind of put on um, 
she has to put on a, a sense of strength a lot of times. And so I think some of the best ways that I can care for Kasia are um, providing her a really safe space where she can just let it all go and let it all loose and, and validate the emotions that she's experiencing that, that are indeed valid because they are in reaction to just the brokenness of our world. You know, going back to that, that uh, John chapter 11 passage, uh, which I'd encourage anybody who's going through a tough time um, and going through brokenness and, and in need of hope and feels like they're stuck in the middle of a really tumultuous story that doesn't make sense. I think John 11 really uh, ministers, but there's a portion in there where Jesus is standing before Lazarus and, and he's standing with Martha and Mary who are weeping and he's standing before the, the you know, the Jewish people who are, um, kind of demonstrating a hard-heartedness towards Jesus' uh, healing ministry and, and project and a, a kind of a skepticism. And it says Jesus was deeply troubled in his spirit. And, and uh, through study of that passage, that, that word, you know, deeply troubled, almost carries a connotation of anger. Um, and, and so mm. it's like Jesus looked around at him at the death of Lazarus, the havoc that it was wreaking on his family, and the acceptance of death in the eyes of those who witness it as deeply troubling. And the whole kind of totality of the brokenness of that situation caused him to bitterly uh, and even angrily weep. And, um, and so I think that we, if we see validation of some of those deepest, rawest emotions uh, in the face of brokenness in our Lord and Savior, uh, how much more do we have permission <clears throat> to express those same things? And so I, that's probably been the biggest way I can minister to Kasia is say those things are okay to feel. And then what about your son? How has it been with him relating uh, Keller, with his brother? Who you're asking about? Yeah. Um, yep. Keller, quite frankly, is, is probably too young to realize uh, really what's happening. Uh, he knows um, certain pieces of information that he'll probably start connecting the dots on in the next 12 months. Um like uh, he can't just walk up to Elon and grab Elon's arm because it will frighten him because Elon can't see him coming. <laughs> um, that uh, that he has to be careful not to um, not to put dirty things near Elon because Elon's immune system is is not as good as as Keller's and uh, uh, he he knows that for a long time Elon ate through. Um, an NG tube through his nose that went down into his belly. And now he eats through a G tube, a tube that goes directly into his stomach because of a series of seizures that Elon had back in March that compromised his uh, swallow ability. So that's a, a semi-permanent part of Elon's uh, life that Keller's kind of interacting with, but he really is tender towards Elon and uh, receptive to even his special needs and, and knowing that Elon has a life that looks different than his, and uh, even catering to that uh, has been really, uh, really sweet to see. That's awesome. You know, there's been a lot of criticism that I read online about churches and how they handle children, specifically children with special health care needs. You're very plugged into your community. How has the church community been? I mean, tell us a bit about the support you've had, or maybe some of the challenges that you wish churches knew about kids with special yeah, needs. Yeah, I I, um, I can't speak for you know other churches. We've been we've been very um, very blessed to be in the community that we are in because you know as soon as people found out about Elon, even though we weren't handing him off to uh, childcare every week after all this happened, kind of in this fragile state, uh, we had people who were. Uh, volunteering to be dedicated buddies for Elon, uh, and we still do. Uh, whenever Elon goes into his um, 
his childcare now uh, at our campus. We have somebody who's dedicated and they're, they're trained on uh, how to recognize uh, the kind of seizures that Elin has, which are pretty subtle. Um, they're trained on how to use a suctioner. We have a medical grade suctioner that we take everywhere with us because he has a hard time uh, kind of swallowing mucus if it, if it builds up. And so they know how to use that. And um, there's, there's all kinds of policies and procedures and, and background checks to make sure our children are, are safe that apply to everybody. But we've seen how uh, people have really stepped up um, and cared for Elon. And, and that's easy to think that they do that because I'm a staff member and a pastor here. Um, but we have, um, we have a kind of a, a a buddies ministry for special need kids that are exclusively one-on-one. And it's really become a reason why people are attracted to and stay at our church because uh, we have a lot of families who feel like their, their kids were neglected, uh, not well cared for uh, in other settings. And so it's something that is becoming more and more prevalent in our church and um, so, something I've always appreciated, but something I've appreciated certainly to a new level in the last six months. That's awesome. Um, maybe uh, as we come here to the end, you know, wrapping things up, getting towards the end of the conversation, how would you encourage the person listening who might be facing some tragedy in their life or a, a situation that they just really are having a hard time accepting? How do you reach, I mean, practically speaking, how do you reach acceptance? Does it start with a verbal statement that moves to your heart? Do you wait for heart change that it's done by the Lord? You, I mean, what if you're just hating the place that you're in and you can't even get to the place where you think about God? How would you counsel or pastor that person? Well, um, I, I would start off by saying some of the things that we've already talked about that have been helpful for us. You know, we are not, uh, my, my wife Cash and I are not exempt to feeling all the same sorts of things that everybody else feels, which are things like uh, doubting the goodness of God or even his existence or um, his willingness to draw near, uh, whether he answers prayer, um, how he could let things happen, uh, especially in light of watching other things happen. You know, God, um, God does things in his own way and, uh, and they don't make sense to us. And I don't think it's helpful uh, to pretend like, um, like that lack of knowing uh, is, is, uh, okay with us. I think we, we struggle against that. And so I think that uh, it starts with simply being honest. I think that um, one of the things I love about scripture and what I love about the ministry of Jesus and the people around him is that he he hung out with a bunk, bunch of broken people who were full of doubts and hurts and hangups and uh, flip-flopping and uh, you know infidelity towards Jesus. And, and the story of scripture is that even when we are unfaithful to God. He is, uh, he is faithful to, to love us and to chase us down. Mm. And he does that oftentimes in the midst of our very honest grieving process. And, uh, and grieving I think is, is healthy and good and normal. Uh, it is Jesus himself did it. Um, and so I think that that, that, that step one is just simply be honest with yourself. Another thing I, I would say is to, to be honest with, um, uh, with what it is that you want that's um, being kept from you through your current circumstances. You know, for Elon, what I really wanted for him was, like I said, that, that normal life. I wanted him to grow up uh, looking like other kids and um, playing like other kids and having a life like other kids so he didn't stand out and have to deal with that. And, um, and I think throughout Scripture, whether it's, um, you know, um, 
way back when uh, when Israel wanted a king just like all the other nations and wanted to fit in and wanted to be normal. And I think God sometimes looks and says, actually, what I want for you is transformation that's going to come through um, circumstances that are anything but normal. Um, and, uh, and so I think that that, that getting in touch with what am I, what am I striving after? And, and oftentimes I think that reveals parts of our heart that, that, uh, God is actually working on, not just the person that we're caring for or the the situation we're facing, but parts of our own heart that God is, uh, highlighting and drawing attention to as parts that are broken or maybe misguided. Um, and, and I think, I think the end, at the end of the day, we may very well see, healing, transformation, reconciliation happen here uh, in our lifetime. But our hope for Elon, we pray every every day, and we have a community of people praying every day that God would heal him physically, tangibly, here, in this life, soon. Because we believe that um, how he's experiencing life is broken. But... Our hope is not in God fixing things in the next year or 10 years or 100 years. We believe that God is on a mission to rescue and redeem, reconcile the world um, to himself that will last eternity and that he is ushering all things in that direction. And if there's one thing about Jesus, it's that his his mission sometimes doesn't make sense and his timing doesn't make sense. And the way he heals doesn't make sense. If you look at the gospels, the way he heals and when he heals people and which people he chooses to heal on what time frame, and none of it really makes sense. Um, and so we, our trust is not that God, uh, not, not in what uh, God might do for us, but really in who God is and the hope that we have about the trajectory of the history uh, of the world and where everything is headed because that uh, there will be a day. Uh, I can say with confidence that Elon will see with eyes uh, brighter than mine are now, and he'll be able to hear uh, uh, the music that God plays. Uh, he'll be he'll be able to have a brain that functions wonderfully. He'll be dancing and celebrating uh, before Jesus, uh, as will everybody who who trusts in Him. Uh, so I, I have confidence that that will happen. Now, whether it happens. Um, you know, whether it happens in the next 10 years or whether it happens uh, shortly after even passes from, from this life, it's going to happen. And so that's where my hope rests. And I would encourage anybody who, who's listening, um, you know, I can't promise that God is going to fix your circumstance here and now, but I can promise you that not one of your tears is wasted. Uh, God absolutely is with you in the midst of the pain. God is not wasting any of uh, your efforts and none of this is pointless. He is using it uh, to uh, form you into the image of Jesus, and he will indeed restore and reconcile and bring all things into healing uh, one day very soon. Oh, man, Corey, you have really honestly touched my heart deeply. Your story is um, so impactful. Thank you so much Thank you again for the opportunity. Hey, before you leave, how can people reach you? Is there a site that they can connect with you Yeah, on? good question. Um, so we actually started a, um, a Facebook page for Elon. That's one avenue if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, I'd like to you know, find out more about Elon and his journey. Uh, so we created a Facebook page called Elon's Story. And if you go to facebook.com slash Elon Shoemate, and his name is spelled E-L-A-N, and then our last name is Shoemate, which is S-H-U-M-A-T-E. And maybe we'll find a way to include a link or, or something uh, in this. That's one way to track along with him. We post updates regularly for those who uh, 
like I said, just to be an encouragement to families who are going through uh, some sort of similar situation as ours. We really want to be honest and transparent about our journey and, and the ups and downs. Uh, and you can find me. Uh, I have uh, social media. Um, Corey Shoemate. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. And I seldom use Twitter, but you can try to find me on that. Um, and uh, I'm, I think my name will be posted uh, along with podcasts. So uh, so you can just search that on on. Uh, on uh, Facebook and, and contact me. I'd be happy to connect with anybody who. Uh, and if you're, and I'm sure if they're in the Streamwood Bartlett area and looking for a home church, absolutely. they could crash here. is our church and we'd be uh, happy to have you anytime. Again, Corey, thank you. This honestly, I uh, just has given me a lot to meditate on and just has even hearing your, just the hope that is in you has fueled my heart and passion, which is the goal of this podcast. Listeners, I know that the story is connected with you. So if you uh, want to reach Corey and, you know, can't remember all the links, remember Lena at livingwithpower.org. Email me. I'll connect you guys. I love you guys. Um, we're doing this because we love Jesus and we are hopeful today and all that's coming in his name. And so have an awesome week. Be blessed. Hang on to hope. Stay strong in the Lord and have a great day.